Let's just stay right here in this moment of worship as we now transition into the word. Would you take your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter number 13? If you didn't bring a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Would you please stay standing for me just for a moment? When we hear the words of you're a good, good father, sometimes I think we just take the worship and we just kind of check that box off and we rush right into the word without, without staying there in that moment, letting God speak to our hearts, letting God do something in our lives. If you have your Bible, it'll be 1 Samuel 13. Let me read for you. If you don't, it's in your worship guide or it'll be up on the screen. The Bible says that Saul said, Bring here to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. When he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel came. Samuel is the priest. It's Samuel's job to offer the burnt offering, not Saul's. Saul's the king, not the priest. And Saul went out to meet him, to greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. What's the problem? He said, I saw. We get into a lot of trouble when we start living by sight and not by faith. The Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Here's where Saul, you can already see his attention is on other things. And then he goes on to say, not just because I saw the people. He also said, and that you did not come to appointed assembly days. And the Philistines are gathering themselves together. He said, I see this enemy. I see this army. It's approaching. And all of a sudden, he began to lose sight. We lose faith in the future when we make excuses for our past. And here's Saul. He's making excuses for what he's done. Verse number 12, the Bible says, Therefore I said, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not yet appeased the face of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Truly now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded you to be the prince, this man to be the prince over his people. But you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you to. The Bible says God was looking for a man after his heart. The word heart in the Hebrew means lebed, which means someone who's seeking after God's heart, soul, mind, and will. The Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. God says that's what I'm looking for. This morning, that's what he's looking for. And so God begins to look for a man in chapter 16. We see this great passage where it's Jesse and he has his sons. And one of his sons can become the king. The Bible says, so Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your young men? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And he is a shepherding the flock. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a good appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that now as we read the word, your word would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would do what I simply can't do. I pray now as we prepare our hearts to hear a word, I pray for those that are here, that they came for something. And I pray that your word would meet that need. I pray that you would do what I can't do. We want to see you high and lifted up this morning. 
We want to see you do something extraordinary. I pray that you would bless our service, bless each one that's here, and would you use this message in a powerful way. As you're seated, would you touch the person next to you and would you say, there's a king in the kid. There's a king in the kid. As you're seated, touch the neighbor next to you and say, there's a king in the kid. There is a king in the kid. We're in a new series entitled Chasing Change. And if there's ever a topic that I think we like to talk about, we like to read about, we like to study about, it's this topic of change. We like change. We change all the time. We change houses, spouses, and blouses. We're always changing, constantly. There are things that we are trying to change about us. But it seems to me we've kind of got off kilter because we think that change is what brings God's favor We think, because I changed something about me, maybe God will like me more. Maybe God will show more blessing to me because I've changed something that'll make him happy. Saul even said, he said, I offered the sacrifice to appease God. The Bible says that Jesus was that atoning sacrifice that was once offered for all. That you didn't need to keep re-offering a sacrifice. That the sacrifice was offered. And so we see that through our lives, oftentimes we're looking to change things. You see, when it comes to this thing of change, change is not the goal, change is God's gift. You say, what do you mean? We don't change in order so that we can receive God's blessing. We change because we have God inside of us and he helps us to change as we ought. But here we see that Saul, because of some poor decisions that he made, he loses the kingdom and God says, I'm going to pick another person. See, over the next six weeks, as we talk about this subject, I want us to look into the idea that here is Saul, who was the king, but was acting more like a kid, and here's a kid who is acting more like a king. And this morning, I want us to challenge us with this thought that we need to bring out the king. I believe inside of each one of us that are, that are chosen, that, that have said, I've made a decision to receive Jesus Christ, there's a king inside. And God, this morning, I believe, is going to help us to pull it out. You see, there are things that God has packed inside of your life that pertain to this trip we call life. And sometimes we open up this packaging that God has packed inside of us, and we don't always like what God has packed inside. You say, what do you mean we don't like what God has packed? Some of us, we we would prefer other things to be packed. Some of you, God has packed inside of your life. He's packed something, and it's something you don't necessarily want. It may be cancer is what he may have packed inside of your life. There may be something where you lose a loved one. That was, that's what's packed inside of your life. Because we're all packed for the trip of life. We're all packed for things. And um, I brought my little bag here this morning that I've packed. And, and what's interesting is when we understand that we're packed for life, there's these things that we're just carried. There's things that God has just put into your life that are just there. And over time, you start to unpack these things. These things start to become more relevant. These things start to open light into your future, these things that God has packed. I've been on a couple trips, and there's a couple trips where I've packed accordingly, and there's some trips I haven't packed accordingly. My most recent trip was to Cabo San Lucas for my wife's 30th birthday. It was kind of a surprise, and so we were going to take this trip. I was going to drop off the kids with my parents, and we were going to go down and just kind of have a great time in Cabo San Lucas. 
We were driving down the five with my two kids, our dog, and it's about seven o'clock at night. We're headed down the five. We're going to Simi Valley. I want to ditch my kids, ditch my dog for a week, and I'm going to spend time with my favorite girl. It was going to be awesome. We were planning all this time, and it was going to be great. So we're driving, and all of a sudden, I look over at my beautiful wife, Jane. I look at her, and I say, do we need passports to go to Mexico? And she just kind of looked at me like, who did I marry? Are you an idiot? But she didn't say this. You wives are so good. You women are so good. You just say it with your eyes. You don't say anything. It's all nonverbal communication at that point. She just kind of slowly looked over at me like, you got to be kidding me. Because we're now at the grapevine. It's 7 o'clock. We have to catch a flight out of LAX at 6 a.m. the next morning. It's 7 p.m. All of a sudden, I'm calling people, asking them if they'll break into my house. I'm like, hey, would you break into my house? Would you get my passports? Would you meet me? Everybody was like, we love you, pastor, but we just don't love you that much. Sorry, we're just not going to do that. So immediately, just before the grapevine, you get to Tahoe Ranch, or there's the outlet mall. I was like, babe, this is terrible. I got to drop you guys off. And you got to wait for my parents from Simi Valley to come pick you guys up because I got to turn around and I got to drive all the way back to San Jose. I got to grab our passports and then I got to book it back. So any of you police officers, if you ever pull me over and you say, hey, I'm just going to give you a ticket and I didn't do anything wrong. Well, that night I did. Okay. I sped the whole way there, the whole way back. So if I ever get a ticket, that's God is my witness. I deserve it. Okay. So man, I was speeding. I was flying because I didn't think I'd actually make our flight. Why? Because I didn't pack the passports. You ever packed something or forgotten to pack something? It's just frustrating, just frustrating. But sometimes we look at our life and we see what God has packed in and it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We honestly don't like what God has packed. Some things we wish God would unpack. Here, Saul, he took up the office of a priest, didn't he? Let me ask you a question. Did God pack a priest inside of Saul's life? No, there was no priest there. So here's Saul trying to pack something into his life that God never put there. And I see this happen all the time. There are those of us that are trying to be like somebody else that we're not. And then we're surprised when God doesn't bless us. Because God doesn't bless who we pretend to be. You ever said this to yourself? I'm just not like them. You ever said that? Okay, I'm the only one. That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'm brave enough to say. There are things where I've looked at somebody and said, I can't sing like them. I'm not like them. I don't look like them. I don't act like them. I'm not as good as them. And man, I've said it hundreds, maybe even thousands of times where I've said, I'm not like them. And guess what? One day when I said it, it's like God whispered something in my spirit and he said, guess what? You're halfway there to becoming who you're supposed to be because you finally realize you're not them. You're not like them. I didn't create you to be like them. I didn't want to have a carbon copy of somebody else. No, I made you unique. I made you different. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearful means awesome. You are awesomely made. Touch your neighbor and say, you're awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. God looks at you and God says, I made you awesome. Here's the big lie that happened in the Garden of Eden when the snake, the devil came to Eve and said, hey, If you eat this, then you'll be like God. That's the biggest lie because God said, I formed man after my own image. God already created us like him. It's up to us to discover, to unpack these things that God has already packed in. But here's Saul's problem. Saul's problem here is that he compromises and his compromise leads to his collapse. 
Same thing happens to us. We'll compromise something, and it'll lead to our collapse. I do it all the time in my workouts. You say, what do you mean? Everybody else is running around. As soon as I'm out of sight, nobody can see me. Whoo, walking, mm-hmm, supposed to run, uh-uh. No, I don't care if this is for time. I don't care. My lungs are about to jump in my throat. I don't care. But guess what? When it comes time to compete, I can't compete. Why? Because my private compromise resulted in my public collapse. You see, here's what happened. We think we can hide things from our spouses. We think we can hide things from God. We think we can hide things from our bosses. And guess what God says? God says, are you dumb? Are you foolish? You can't hide from me. Think about in Genesis. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, they made some clothes. You know what they made some clothes out of? Anybody know? Fig leaves. Did you know a fig leaf is the itchiest plant? You know what sin makes you? Sin makes you stupid. Like, come on, you've seen the pictures where Adam and Eve put those fig leaves to you. That's just not, not a great idea, okay? I'm just, just saying right now, okay? Just putting that out there, all right? It just wasn't smart how they covered. And that's what we do. We have these private compromise. And it always results in a public collapse. Come on, we see it in the political arena. We see it in the sports arena. We see it in the business arena. We see it in the church arena. And here is Saul thinking, hey, Samuel's not here. I'll offer the sacrifice. But God never packed a priest inside of Saul's bag. It's not what he packed. So here is Saul. He's trying to be something that God never planned on him to be. And some of us sometimes... We're trying to be something that God never planned on us to be. I've heard it like this. Stay in your lane. Be who God made you to be. I had a pastor last week. He came in and he was visiting our service. And he was just talking to me. We were talking about church. And I said, hey, a couple of years ago, I didn't know what I was. He said, what do you mean you didn't know what it was? I was working on a couple of things and changing a couple of things. Just, just kind of all over the place. Trying to be something. Trying to be somebody else. Trying to act like somebody else. I just didn't know who I was until I found my security and who God said I am. And that's where you and I need to come to is what is God saying? What is God packed inside of our life? What is God packed inside of your life? And finding contentment in that. But oftentimes we're like Saul. You know what he said to Samuel? He said, I just couldn't wait. You were delayed in coming. You know something I've noticed? There are no drive-throughs to breakthroughs. And you and I are always looking for the drive-through, the shortcut, the quick out, the easy way. We're looking for that thing where, hey, if I just compromise a little bit here, maybe I can make it up later. But private compromise always results in public collapse. And so you and I have to make that decision that, guess what? I'm going to be persistent because God is giving me something in my bag that I've got to work out. I've got to unpack this thing. I've got to deal with this thing. So let's stop pretending to be who God has not called us to be. So we see here Saul, but then God raises up a second person. His name is David. Arguably one of the greatest characters in the Bible. This character, David, I'm almost, I'm almost intimidated to teach and preach about him because everybody knows about David. Matter of fact, even people that have not grown up in the church or know nothing about the church, they know this. It's like a David and Goliath story. Come on. How many of you watch sports? And they're like, it's like David and Goliath out there. Man, this underdog team against this team. And they're going to get crushed. They're going to get slaughtered. And it's all going back to this passage of scripture where David is anointed to be the next king. Here's the problem. Or here's the thing we miss. When Saul dies, David's only about 23 years old. In chapter 17, David is called to go to war, but David's not able to go. 
You say, why? The minimum age to go to war was 16. So the time David is anointed and he actually gets the throne, he's actually very young. Some scholars believe that David is about 11 years old. 11-year-old kid is about to be anointed king over Israel. But there was something about this 11-year-old that even the grown-ups, even the adults were looking and they were saying, there's something inside of this kid. I think what I see is a king inside of the kid. And I believe that God wants to pull those things out of you and I. You see, David's calling, though, was filled with contradiction. You say, what do you mean contradiction? Notice if you would, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. I just need you to see a couple things about this passage. It's interesting because in this passage, you see Samuel, he's looking for a king. And man, when Samuel chose Saul, Saul had all the right stuff. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a man's man. He was a leader. He just had it all together. He had the right stuff. But when God said, I'm looking for another king, he said, I'm not looking for the right stuff. I'm looking somebody, for somebody who has the right spirit. It's not about the stuff. Isn't it amazing? Well, you and I, we get wrapped up in the stuff. We see somebody with a nice car. We see somebody with a nice job. We see somebody who looks like they've got it all together. And we're looking at the stuff. And God is saying, don't look at the stuff. Look at the spirit. Look at the things that really matter. You see, we build up these things that we think this is where it's all at. This is awesome. And this is great. And you get that new car and you think your identity's into that new car. What happens when the car gets wrecked? What does that do to your identity? Is your identity gone? Some of us, we find our identity in our spouse. And when the relationship falls apart, we fall apart. Why? Because we found our identity in that person. And we put all our hopes, dreams, and future on that person. If that person ever leaves, ever goes, then there goes your future. There goes your hope. There goes your dreams. Why? Because you put it all on that person and not on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always there. Some of us, we put our identities in our job. We don't know who we are apart from our role. We just think, if I ever lose this job, I don't know who I am. I'm the CEO. I'm the CFO. I'm, I'm the secretary. Or I'm a, the admin assistant. I'm just this. And we wrap everything into that identity. But here's David. And in this passage, I love it. Samuel, he's about to anoint the next king of Israel, but he doesn't know exactly who he's going to anoint. So he shows up at Jesse's house. Jesse lives in Bethlehem. And Jesse has eight sons. And, and here Samuel goes before Jesse and is like, hey, all right, let's go see these, these boys that I've heard about. Come on, I got I to gotta anoint the next king of Israel. So let's have him walk in front of me. And the first one, his name is Eliab, and he walks. And it's kind of like the runway for the dudes, you know, they kind of come strutting across and everything. And I don't know if they flex. I don't know if it was kind of like a muscle pose. I don't know what they did. But one by one, these guys begin to pass in front of Samuel. And at first, Samuel's like, this is it. You're the man. Look at those guns. I'm telling you what, you, you've got that kingly material. Once again, God had to remind Samuel, you're looking at the stuff. You're not looking at the spirit. All seven sons pass, and seven in the Bible means the number of completion, right? And Samuel's like, God's not speaking. God, all seven, that's number of completion. It wasn't number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six. It wasn't number seven. God, what are you doing here? And all of a sudden, Jesse says, or Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more? And it's almost like Jesse didn't want to say David's name. 
There's hesitation in the passage of scripture. Do you notice it? Let's just look at it just for a second. The Bible says this. Then Jesse called all of his sons to pass before Samuel. And the Bible says that God didn't choose any of them. In verse number 10, the Bible says, And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all your children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And he's the keeper of the sheep. He's the youngest and the keeper of the sheep. David's own dad is kind of trying to almost disqualify him. Because the keeper of the sheep was the lowest job. This is what the servant would do. This is, this is the dirty jobs. This is what nobody else wants to do. When they all drew straws or when they all had chores, nobody wanted to be the shepherd. But David, he's the shepherd. David's out there. The Bible says that he's the youngest. You don't want a young king. You want somebody that's mature. You want somebody that's got some, got some strength behind him. And so you can already see that David's calling was filled with these contradictions. Because everybody else, when they saw a king, they didn't see David. And maybe when people look at you, they don't see your potential. Sometimes you're the only one that can see what God has put inside of you. Sometimes you're just having to walk by faith, believing that God has put something inside of you that nobody else can see. Because guess what? I've got things inside of this bag that none of you can see. And they're just packed in there. and You have no idea what's inside of there. And guess what? There's some of you in this room. And you've got so much potential, you've got so much purpose, you've got so much promise inside of you, and you're irritated that nobody else can see it. Sometimes we get to feeling like because we're invisible, we're not valuable. I'll say it again because that was really good and you didn't catch it. Sometimes we feel because we're not visible, we're not valuable. You ever got anybody, any middle kids here, you're the middle child. I want to see hands up middle child. It happens all the time to the middle child. I was the middle child for a long time. And it's just kind of like, you can see the pictures and you can see the birthday parties on the wall. And all of a sudden the first kid, bam, they get like a whole wall of pictures. I mean, they get videos, pictures, birthday parties. I mean, it's a party for the firstborn. Secondborn, they get the other wall. It's not the whole wall, but it's about three fourths of the wall. And you're like, man, looking at theirs. And then you go down past the three fourths. And then it's kind of like, there's your picture. And then they skip. And then they go to the fourth. You're like, wait, wait, I got one picture. Well, you know, when it comes to the third, he just kind of gets a little bit busy. Could you imagine David? David's the eighth. But you know what the number eight means in scripture? New beginnings. God was about to do something new through David. I believe today God is about to do something new through some of us. So stop worrying about that other people can't see what's packed in your pack. That God has got potential packed inside of you. And your potential is what God is going to pull out. That's what the king inside that God wants to work out. But here's the contradiction here that we see. You see, David's dad's name is Jesse. Jesse's dad was Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. You say, what's the big deal? What's, what's the big deal? Ruth was a Moabite. They say, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. You don't. A Moabites, they have a not so great past. It's kind of yucky. It's kind of messy. The Moabite tribe started because of a guy by the name of Lot. Lot ran up into the hills. And the Bible pulls no punch in, folks. It's not exactly always a G-rated book. And then Genesis tells the story that Lot commits incest with his two daughters. And that's where the two tribes come from. And one of those tribes are the Moabites. And the Moabites in Deuteronomy, it was strictly forbidden that the Jews and the Moabites had no dealings. You don't intermingle. You don't intermarry. So technically, David should not even exist. But aren't you glad God doesn't replace 
the bad parts about us. He redeems them. He takes those things about us we're not proud of, we're not excited about. And God says, don't worry about that. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to use it for my power. I'm going to use it for my purpose. I'm going to reuse it for my plan. So that thing about you that you think is the worst thing about you, that thing in your past that you're so irritated by, frustrated by, God says, don't worry. I can use that. I can use it for my glory. I can use it for my steps. I can redirect it. I have a plan. I have a purpose for it. But not only that, the Bible says in Psalms 51, verse number five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Scholars believe that David is actually the illegitimate son of Jesse. You say, what do you mean? Makes sense. Why is David throughout his whole life trying to please his dad? His dad says, I need somebody to go to the battlefield. David, I'll do it. As soon as Goliath comes up, they say, hey, whoever kills Goliath, guess what he'll get if he kills Goliath? His father's house will be tax-free. David's trying to, trying to heal this father wound. You see, let's go a little bit further. David was not a great father to his own kids. Why? Because it's hard to become what you've never beheld. See it? Makes sense. It makes sense. And so here, everything, the deck is stacked against this guy. But even though the deck is stacked against him, God says, I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. I've packed potential inside of you. There's things I'm going to do through you. I was never really all that good at sports. Partly because of my size, my skill, and my speed. I didn't have any of them. I was like a non-triple threat, okay? That's just who I was. Some people, they played left field. I played left bench. It was awesome, all right? It was just great. But here's the thing I knew about my coach. I knew my coach. He'd put his five starters in or whatever we were playing. I played basketball, football, baseball, whatever it was, I would just play. And man, as soon as the players were in, I'd sit on the edge and I would just keep eyes on the coach. Because I knew the coach just wanted somebody who was hungry. He just wanted somebody that, I may not have the ability, but man, I'll just give, it, give him my all. I'll just go out there. And I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to give it my all. And God's looking for somebody with the right spirit, not the right stuff. And some of you are like, well, I don't have the right stuff, so who cares? Let somebody else run the ministries. Let somebody else reach the coworkers. Let somebody else change the world. Because you're focused on your stuff. And I need you to get off the stuff this morning. I need you to stop thinking about all the stuff that you've got. Because in life, there's a lot of stuff. There's things that happen to you. There's things that you'd rather not have happened. But too many times, we're focused on all this stuff. And God is saying, focus on the spirit. It's not about the stuff. Because there's some stuff God packs that... We're not so sure about. And God packs some stuff in David's bag, some stuff that at first just, if David were to look at it, he wouldn't be able to make sense of all this stuff. I mean, I know we're in church. I know it's kind of serious, but try to, try to keep it somewhat serious. Okay. I mean, some of the stuff that, 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 that is packed. I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird. Like, like it just doesn't really make all that much sense. Some of the stuff that's packed in, inside of David's bag. And it kind of, as David starts unpacking it, he's thinking, what's all this stuff? I mean, what's all this stuff that God's just packed inside of me? I, I just, it, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, there's some oil, there's this, uh, Simba and my son got some scissors and, uh, cut his hair. That's all right. And then these five stones, and then there's this crown. But you got to see in this passage what happens to David. David, the Bible says that Saul comes, and Saul pours some oil on David's head. Oil was a sign of God's presence. It was a sign that God had is chosen him to use him in a powerful way. So David sees the oil, and it's kind of like, yeah, I like the oil. 
That's great. But the thing about oil, the thing we need to remember about oil, where does oil come from? It comes from olives that have been pressed and squeezed and pressed. That's where it comes from. So there is out of the pain, there's always purpose. That's another tweetable thing right there. Out of our pain, there's always purpose. That God can push some things together and God can produce something that God is going to use in his future. But you say, what about this lion? The Bible says that, God, that David is going to have to face a lion and a bear as a shepherd. You see, what we want, this is what we want. We see the five stones, we'd say, no, I don't, don't want that, don't, don't want that. I just want to go from the anointing to the appointing. Remember what we like? Drive-throughs to breakthroughs. We want the gift, we don't want the grind. We want the fruit, we don't want the fight. Come on, church, talk back to me. I know it's, it's 9.30, it's early, but it's okay. We're all friends, we all love each other here. We need to understand that so many times we're just trying to skip the steps. And God says, no, 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 I've packed some things inside of you and you've got to take them in order. And oftentimes we're like, God, can I just throw this out? I just don't want to face these deadly things. I don't want to face these difficult things. God, I only want to keep it easy. I just want to pick my plan, my purpose. And God says, no, 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 I packed that back. And I packed it on purpose. I packed it full of everything that you need. Because even though your calling may have some contradictions, I'm going to do some things in your life. And you need this stage. You need what I'm going to bring. You need what I'm going to do. Because God's got some things together. And he's going to take you and he moves our position to accomplish his mission. So here's Samuel. He anoints David. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord comes upon David in verse number three. And David is now anointed. So don't let contradiction stop your calling. Don't let what everybody else says about you say to you or say behind you and let it affect you. And so many times that's what happens, doesn't it? We let the contradictions of our life determine whether we're going to follow through on the calling that God has placed on us. You have a high and holy calling. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a husband. You're a wife. You're a girlfriend. You're a boyfriend. You've got a job. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. Don't give up on that calling. And too many times I see people, they just walk away from their spouse. They walk away from their job. They walk away from their potential. They walk away from their purpose because they don't like what God packed inside of the bag. Instead of saying, you know what? God packed it in there for a reason. I'm going to face it. I'm going to endure it. This is the process because we like life to be a project where we can just kind of check it off and be done with it. But God says, no, no, no. This is a process. It's a process becoming a kid that becomes the king. That just doesn't happen overnight. Some of you are looking at your kids. You're saying, come on, let's just grow up. Come on, hurry up, move out of the house. You're 10 years old now. Come on, come on, almost there. I kid you not, the first time my mom, she came up to me and she was like, hey, Micaiah, can you reach the washer and dryer? Oh, yeah, I can reach the washer and dryer. I was about eight years old, maybe seven, probably eight. And I could just barely, I was always short. I didn't break five foot till I was 15. So I was just a short little guy. Man, I'm reaching, I'm reaching. And then, bam, I hit. I was so proud of myself. She was like, good. Here's your laundry. You're doing it from now on. Eight years old. Are you kidding me? She tricked me. She tricked me. Deceitful woman. I'm telling you what. Man, buke the devil out of that woman. Um, But when it comes to these things, so many times we're just so frustrated. But what God has packed inside, instead of understanding that this is part of the process. This is what God is doing. And when we're chasing change, what happens is we lose sight that sometimes there's going to be some contradictions. But don't let the contradictions stop you. Some of you come from families where all your family is an alcoholic. And you're the first one that says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it affect me. For some of you, you're the first one that ever went to college. 
For some of you, you're the first one that actually is making it with the job. For some of you, you're the first one that you're making in your marriage. You're breaking the trend. You're breaking through. And some of you, you're right now about to just walk away from all that. You're about to just quit on that instead of understanding that, wait a minute, this is a process. It's going to take time and I need to stay the course. But we get frustrated because of the contradictions. So don't let the contradictions stop your calling because God doesn't pick people like people pick people. God picks people a totally different way. It's God's modus operandi. He chooses what man excuses. You see, everybody wanted to overlook David. Nobody wanted to pick David. Picture it. Imagine the dodgeball teams in second grade. The worst thing was to be picked last. It was like, I just might as well quit school and enter rehab because my life is already screwed up because I did not get picked until last, all right? And this is kind of what it's like for David. David's lining up, pick me, pick me, pick me. And nobody picks David. And finally, God has to speak up. We look at this conversation, God's all over this. And God's having this dialogue with Samuel. And it's almost like your wife, when you're buying a car, she's like, "Mm mm-mm. You start over at the sports cars, and your wife's just there. And you're like, "Uh, no, not that one. And then you start over the big manly trucks. She's like, not that one. You're like, all right, we want a little sedan. We'll take the minivan. And then you hand in your man card, all right? It's just done, all right? Nothing against the dudes that drive minivans. I'm sorry, Pastor West. But anyway, so we're, uh, sorry. Man, did that slip out? But so many times we look at our lives and we're just frustrated by, by what's happening. And God is saying, don't let the contradiction stop you. But then we look at our capacity because we have a contribution to make. Then we're looking at our capacity and we're looking at our life. We're saying, God, I don't like these steps. But notice in chapter number 17, this enemy, he shows up on the scene. The enemy's name is Goliath. And everybody's afraid and everybody wants to, wants, to, uh, wants to run from Goliath. But then here we see in chapter 17, the Bible says in verse number four, and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and one bearing a shield went before him and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them why are you come out against me such a battle array am I not a Philistine the servant to Saul choose you a man for you and let him come down to me and if he be able to fight with me and to kill me then will we be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then shall you be our servants and serve us It was a standard practice in that day where the two armies would line up and face each other and each army would pick a champion. And the two champions would face off. They would kind of have a duel, so to speak. And so the two armies line up and they both make a decision. Do you not see it? Each one picks a champion. And if Goliath wins, Israel has to serve the Philistines. But if an Israelite champion wins, then the Philistines have to serve the Israelites. But let's fast forward just a little bit. How many, spoiler alert, know how this story ends? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Excellent. Okay, so let's jump to the end real quick. David wins, cuts off Goliath's head with his own sword, and then the Philistines, they drop their weapons, and they say, we're your servants. Is that what happens? Do you know what actually happens? The Philistines run. 
wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They broke the war, the law that a champion, when he wins, you instantly become the servant. You don't run. You don't get to go back home. No, you drop your weapons. The fighting's over. The war is done. Never trust a deal made from the devil. Goliath made a deal and he had no intention of keeping it. And some of you, because you don't want to go through God's process, you're making these deals and Satan has no intention of keeping the deal. And some of you are so frustrated because you're like, I made a deal. I made a, can I use the word compromise? And you're like, this isn't how it's supposed to turn out. This is not how it's supposed to work. So what happens at the end of the story? The Israelites had to chase down the Philistines and conquer them. They took off because they had no intention of being honorable. And some of you expect the devil, you expect the enemy, you expect these things in your life to do right when you're trying to do right. No, no, you got to go through the process. You got to fight through it. But here's David. David's going to stand up and we're going to see David, a shepherd boy, younger than 16, slay a giant. Well, how is that even possible? Because when God's spirit is upon you, he takes your capacity and he increases it. That's what this is all about. Because God is saying, hey, David, you're a kid and I got to bring the king out. But for some, you're a king and God's bringing the kid out. Because we have some kings that are acting like kids today. They say the difference between a kid and a man is how much he spends on his toys. I know it got real quiet because now we're going to talk about how much you spend on your TV and how much you spend on your wife. Oh, we went there. Yes, we did. It's about to get personal. Buckle up. Some of us spend so much on our toys. How much time will we spend on our kids? How much time will we spend into our walk with God? Because we're so quick to just buy these toys and you're a king that's acting like a kid. And you're like Saul, just wanting to play games, just wanting to make and do whatever you want to do instead of saying, wait a minute, God has given me a calling. He's given me a purpose. Let me work that out. Let's bring the king outside of the kids this morning. Because God says, hey, there is the great Jesus Christ inside of you, where the hope of glory is inside of us. So there's a king. If you are born again, if you've chosen Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's a king inside of you. Let's bring that out because that's where the change is possible. That's where the life is possible. That's where revival is possible. That's where these things that can, that you want to see happen is possible. It's possible because of him. So let's bring him out into our lives. That's what this passage is all about. It's all about not just skipping from the, uh, the, the anointing to the appointing. It's about going through the process. It's about facing the lions and tigers and bears, about facing the giants in our life. Because David comes to Saul, and Saul's all terrified about Goliath. And David says, I'll fight Goliath for you. And Saul looks at David and says, David, you're just a kid, you're just a youth. And then David says, you know, one time I was watching my dad's sheep, and a lion grabbed one of the sheep Instantly, when you see a lion, a lion is right around 500 pounds. David's not even 16. The initial reaction would be to run, to scream, do something. But the Bible says that David broke the lion's head with his bare hands. Now, some of us can look at the Bible and think, oh, that's just a nice fairy tale. That's real inspirational. That's really good. But the Bible says the spirit of God came upon David. There's supernatural strength and anointing. When you find that you're walking with God, you'll find that there's things you never thought you could do. You never thought you could hold a marriage like that together. You never thought that you'd be such a bold witness. You never thought that you could show such great compassion and love. You never thought you could serve on that level. God will enable you to do things that otherwise would be 
unable to do. And so here, David, he tells, he, he tells Saul, he said, hey, there was a lion that came. And not only a lion, there was a bear. Okay, it's, it's just a bear. I give up. I quit. The first day a lion shows up at the job, it's done. I had a job in college. I went to these employment agencies. And then they said, hey, your shift will start at 11 o'clock at night till 6 in the morning. And you're going to be at a food packing plant. I went to the food packing plant and I showed up. It was at a bad part of town and the barbed wire around it and everything. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Where am I? I knocked on the door. I kid you not. They have one of those little things they slide across and somebody eyes peers out. Hello. And I was like, ah, uh, I'm here to start my job. All right. And they close it real quick. And I hear these bolts unlock and they open up this door and I go in and it's a food packing plant for the local prison. And we had these 50 pound, I kid you not, it was a bologna log, okay? It was a log of bologna and it was hard to cut up this bologna. It smells so bad. It was a horrible job. And man, I just couldn't believe, where am I? And then they were like, we're going to train you at the different jobs. And so I'm out on the loading dock and I'm out there and I, I'm going to tell you, don't hate on me. I was the only white dude out there, okay? Just the only white dude out there. And I'm out there loading these trucks, just trying to pay my college bill. And man, I'm out there, I'm loading up these bologna logs to go to the prison to feed the inmates and all that stuff. And I'm out there. And then one of the guys, he's like, hey, sometimes people drive in the back alley and they shoot at us. When they do, you just run in the trailer and hide, all right? I was like, all right, no. No. You got to be kidding me. And then another person came and said, um, hey, do you have a social security number? Yeah, I got a social security number. Oh, good, because nobody else here has one. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was like, I got to go. They were like, oh, no, no, no. We locked the doors. Nobody can leave till 6 o'clock. So I call up my brother. I was like, hey, man, I got to escape out of this place. I kid you not. I was like, you're going to drive up. They're going to think you're going to start shooting. So just say bang, bang, really loud. And when they all run, I'm going to jump in the car. And he pulls up, and, man, I jump in the car. I was out of there. I have no idea what that story had to do with anything that I was talking about. Just thought I would share with you. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes there's things in our life we say, no, no, I don't want to do this. But God says, this is preparation. This is what I'm going to use for that next step. It may seem messy. It may seem like you don't want to do it. But this is what I'm going to use to get you from here to there. This is the process because I'm taking the kid out of the king. I've got to pull it out. It's called chasing change. And some of you for so long, you've been resisting what God is trying to do. And God is saying, hey, I want to bring something forth out of your life. I want to do something great in your life. I want to bring something forth. And I'm going to Increase your capacity. I'm going to do something through you. So you're going to face the bear. You're going to face the lion. And I'm going to then have you face the giant. Five smooth stones. Immediately when we look at our life, we're like, we're five. Five. I think we remember this name, number five, don't we? It's the number of grace. And God says, my grace is there. I think, I think it was Paul who said, when I'm weak, I'm strong because his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. You're about to face a giant. You're about to face difficulty. And God said, grab not, not just one. You only need, David only needed one. How many did he need, church? How many stones did he actually need? He only needed one. But God says, you need five. Because five is the number of grace. Understand, whatever you face, there's God's grace for the pace. There's God's grace is packed in the bag. His grace is there to help you. For we walk by faith and not by sight. There is God's grace that is there to help you. It, it, we're saved by this grace. This grace is what changes everything. So understand, God says, I packed it inside. And you need this grace before you ever get to the crown. And here, David, he... 
He then tells Saul, and Saul's starting to be convinced. Here's a kid that had some pretty nasty jobs. But even though he had some nasty jobs, guess what? God said, even though you had these nasty jobs, they're all preparation. You didn't see it. Let's connect these dots. Let's connect it to your purpose. Some of you unpack some things saying, God, how is this even going to make sense? And God is saying, don't worry. It's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. I'm about to close. Let's all stand on our feet. I'm, we're coming in for a landing. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Because God is saying, I'm connecting. I'm connecting these things. Because our problems serve a purpose. And some of us, we're so upset because God's taken us to a new level. But I've learned, church, that for every new level, there's a new devil. For every new level, there's a new devil. And for some of us, we're so upset. We're so bothered that God just wouldn't king us. And even Saul said, hey, David, put on this armor. And David said, I can't, I can't wear that armor. You and I, we can't wear the expectations of others. Be who God has called you to be. We're going to chase change, but to do that, we've got to bring out the king. Bring out the king. Touch your neighbor one more time and say, bring out the king. Bring out the king. Bring out the king. Some of you just are a grumpy neighbor. My goodness, you don't like to talk to nobody. Bring out the king one more time. Touch your neighbor. Touch your neighbor. Bring out the king. Bring out that king. It's time, church. We've had enough where we've had these kids that are trying to act like kings. Let's have some kings that are kings. No more kings with that inner kid. God wants to do a work in your life this morning. He wants you to bring something out, bring something forth. He wants you to be changed. And we're going to chase change over the next six weeks. We're going to study from the life of David. So we could all have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God wants to do a work in your life. It's no accident you're here. Maybe this is the first time. But maybe God's speaking to you. There's something God's telling you. You've been struggling with something. Maybe you're, you're about to give up on something. Maybe you have been acting what we would say immature or foolish about something. And God is saying, hey, enough of that. Put that away. Quit that. And be the king that I've called you to be. Pull out that king. Nobody's looking. But you say, that's me. That's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? Would you lift up your hands so I could pray for you? I see those hands. Praise God. Hands up all over. Praise God. One other question. Maybe you're here. And you're getting a totally different message. The whole time you're sitting there and you're saying, God has picked people. And you've never been picked for anything in your life. You fought for everything you've ever had. Nobody handed you anything. And you've done it all yourself. And for the first time you're hearing that God picks people. And maybe you're thinking God only picks the people that he likes. The good people. The Bible says that whosoever will may come. That God so loved the whole world. God is not asking you to change so he'll like you better. It's because God likes you and loves you that we do change. Maybe this morning, God is saying, hey, it's time for you to put your faith and trust in me. It's time for you to accept Jesus as your Savior. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask a question. How many of you know that Jesus is your Savior? Would you slip up your hand? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. A lot of hands raised. Let me ask the next question. How many of you say, you know what? I wasn't able to raise my hand that Jesus is my Savior. But this morning, 
I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to know that he picked me. He chose me. You say this morning, I want to know that. Would you slip up your hand so we could pray for you? Is anybody like that? I see those hands. Amen. Amen. Hands up all over. Amen. People raise their hands. And I want, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. As music is playing, here's what I want to do. If you raised your hand and you were brave and bold and you stuck up your hand, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you as you receive Jesus Christ. So as the musicians are playing, as nobody's looking around, this is your moment to do business with God. I'm going to count to three and I want you to step out. And when I count to three and when those people step out, church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you give them a clap, you cheer them on, okay? Because we're going to have some people, they're going to step out for the very first time, okay? And when you step out, We're going to have somebody pray with you, okay? When I count to three, you just step out and just meet me right here. Just meet me right here. You say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to make that decision. I've never received him, and I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to do that today. I'm going to count to three, and you step out. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around except those that are going to step out. One, two, three. You step out right now. You made a decision to receive Jesus Christ. Amen. You step out. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. We have somebody step out. That's awesome. Praise God for those that stepped out. Amen. 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 That's exciting. That's what it's all about. It's people stepping out in faith. People stepping out and saying, God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. And I'm going to pursue it with my passion. I'm going to pursue it because God has packed potential in my life. And I have got a king inside of me. And I'm going to do something. Amen, church? That's what it's all about. Amen. That's exciting. That's exciting. 